welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. We're going to be here in, uh, in Proverbs 4.23, and we're going to talk about how God changes us by the gospel. And, um, it's, and that's because it's New Year's, right? New Year's coming in a couple days. I actually love New Year's Day. Actually, New Year's Day is actually one of my favorite holidays. And it's not New Year's Eve because I'm not even up then. I love the beginning of a brand new year so much. I love how it, and I'm one of the few like non-cynical people left about this. And it's funny because, you know, we all have set resolutions and don't keep them and stuff like that. I every year believe they can be kept. I don't know why. I'm not generally optimistic, but I'm always like, you know what? It's a new year and we're going to live differently and let's do this. I'm really excited about it every time. And I love New Year's Day too because it's a great picture of the gospel, you know, the fresh start that God gives us. And it reminds us that, you know, we can change, that, that, that Jesus makes true change possible in any area. And so we shouldn't be cynical about change. Um, it's a gift of the gospel. Um, but change does take learning that's what discipleship's about. It takes learning, it takes practice, it takes changing our habits. We have to go about it in a biblical way. And so this morning, I want to look specifically at Proverbs 4.23 and look at where should we aim our efforts. When we're thinking about changing in some significant way, we're convicted of some sin pattern in our lives, where should we focus our effort? And the answer is we should focus it on the heart. Proverbs 4.23 reads this way, Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life. Now, many of you guys who have known me for a long time have heard me preach on this passage maybe multiple times because I really am obsessed with this passage. I love this passage. I love the clarity of it. I love how helpful it is. So we're going to look at two questions this morning. The two questions are, why should you keep your heart in 2019? Why keep your heart? Why focus there? And then the second one will be, how can you keep your heart? How should you keep your heart? So the first one, why should you keep your heart? Why the heart? And, and the primary answer to this is, is that God sees your heart. You guys realize that? God sees your heart. Sometimes people say, you know, well, God knows my heart, you know, when they're involved in some sort of sin pattern or whatever. Well, God knows my heart. It's like, that's comforting. Um, God sees your heart. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says this, The Lord doesn't see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God sees and hears and perceives your heart, your thoughts, and your emotions as if they're mental actions. Because he sees your heart as clearly as he sees your actions and words, he perceives them the same. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, he equated lust to adultery and anger to murder. It's because he perceives our thoughts as mental actions. He sees our thoughts and our feelings as clearly as he sees our words and our actions. And guys, if that doesn't convince you you're a sinner, I don't know what will. Because if you were to think about your mind being projected on a screen above your head for everyone to see 24 hours a day, okay, that's the screen God sees, right? Everybody's like, no, please no. Yeah, right, because we know that our hearts are sinful, right? God wants us to love him and to love others with our whole hearts, not just our actions and words. And he should de desire that, and he should demand that because he sees it, right? Jesus said this. He said to the religious leaders and Pharisees, he said, you cleanse the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. First clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may be clean also. Um, what this text reminds us is that our hearts, the state of our hearts is a hospitality issue. It's a hospitality issue towards God. 
And what do I mean by that? Well, say you came over to my house, and I offer you something to drink, and I offer it to you in my coolest cup, which would be the Ren and Stimpy one. And so I give that to you with something to drink, and it's all clean on the outside. But then as you look in and you're about to drink, you notice there's some chunks in it and things floating in it, right? And you say, you know, can I use a different cup? And I say to you, don't be so picky. Look how clean it is on the outside. That's what we're like when we focus just on the outside, right? God drinks from the heart. Your heart, your innermost being, is the cup you offer to God to drink from. That's the cup we're offering to God to drink from. And so having a clean heart is actually a hospitality issue towards God. Just as you would never knowingly offer me a cup that was dirty on the inside, we should offer the cleanest of ourselves, our hearts, the cleanest possible to God. I love uh, John Calvin. He had this seal I think he probably takes wax, you know, he used to put it on his envelopes and put it on there and stuff. But he had this seal, and the seal was really cool. The seal was a hand holding a heart. And his motto on it was, my heart I offer to you, O Lord, promptly and sincerely. Don't you love that? That's such a great motto. I think we should make stickers or something. It's just so cool. My heart I offer to you promptly and sincerely. And so we should want to keep our hearts because God sees our hearts. And our hearts are the cup we offer to God to drink from. Also, we should want to keep our hearts because our life flows from it. Take a look at our passage. It says, keep your hearts with all vigilance, and then there's a purpose, for, right, because, for, from it flow the springs of life. Your heart is pictured as like a, an underground water source from which your whole life springs up. And I've got a diagram. I changed the diagram. By the way, if you guys are like, oh, I've seen the diagram. The diagram has grown. You've not seen this one. Okay. So our heart, if you look at Proverbs 4.23, is, is pictured as if it's this kind of underground source of water, right? A little aquifer or something. And out of it springs your life. He said all of your life springs out of your heart. Right? And so he says we need to keep it vigilantly. That, that just from this part of us flows everything that affects our whole life and everyone around us. And of course, we can't look directly into our hearts. But what we can do is we can look at what comes out of them. Right? We can look at what comes out of them. Jesus said this. He said that our minds are a picture of our hearts. He said, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts and murders and adulteries and sexual immorality and theft and false witness and slander. And so, though we can't examine our hearts directly, we can examine our minds. In our minds, in our minds, you know, things like thoughts, emotions, desires, temptations, and we can see those, and those are a reflection, guys, of what's going on in our hearts. We're constantly turning over those thoughts and feelings and emotions, and from there we make you know, decisions that result in actions and words. The religious just focus on this part, but we're called to focus on, on the heart. And, and what happens, there's an interesting feedback loop here too, right? Because Romans 12, 2 says, says that we can change our hearts based on what we change our minds. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transfer, 
transformed by the renewing of your mind. That if we will focus on God's word in our minds and change our thoughts towards um, God and towards others through the word, that that actually has a feedback to our hearts and makes our hearts cleaner. Philippians, Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, whatever is of excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, think on these things. And as we do that, as we choose to think upon the word, it actually transforms our hearts. That's Philippians 4. And, and, and that's why... Um, and that's why it's so important, God's Word is so important, because God's Word is one way in which we have to actually have an effect on our hearts. You can't just go right into your heart and change it, but you can change what you actually choose to dwell on. Our actions and our words, sometimes our heart actually bypasses our mind and goes straight to actions and words, doesn't it? Uh, one example would be in the things that we say. Have you ever said something in the heat of the moment, and you said later, like, oh, I don't know where that came from. I didn't mean that. I don't really think that. I, I don't know why I said that. Well, Jesus says, as the master heart teacher, he knows exactly where it came from. He says in Matthew 12, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good store brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. And, and so our hearts are, can actually just directly come right out of our mouths without us really thinking about it, but there's still an accurate reflection of what's in our hearts. It, it's as if your heart is like a cup and it's filled to the brim. And these are the things in your heart, good and bad. And what happens is when somebody bumps you, it comes out of your mouth, right? That's what's happening. So when things come out of our mouths, we know exactly where they came from. They came right out of our hearts. You've heard people say, you know, oh, that guy has no filter, right? As if what we needed was right here to put a filter here to keep the things that are in our hearts from coming out of our mouths. Guys, I don't need a filter. I need a clean heart. I need a clean heart so that when you bump me or whatever you do to me, the things that gush out of me are beneficial to the people around me and glorify God, right? We need clean hearts. We should want to keep our hearts that well. We should want to keep it because what flows out of it affects our whole lives and everybody around us. And that word flow is really important. He says flows out of it, right? It's automatic. It's our character, Dallas Willard says this about character. He says, our character is that internal overall structure of ourself that is revealed by long-term patterns of behavior. And then listen to this part. From which our actions more or less arise automatically. So your heart is going to automatically uh, pour forth thoughts and emotions and desires and words and actions. And, and that comes forth almost automatically. And, and we know this, and that's why we use things like credit reports and job references is because we have a sense that people have an inner being that kind of is consistent and has almost automatic responses. And so if I know how a person acted before, I probably know how they're going to act in the future. Why? Because of the heart. And our hearts can become better or worse over time. And we have examples of this in Scripture, right? Think of a guy like Solomon. Starts off really well. What happened as Solomon went on and he got older? His heart got worse and worse. Got worse and worse. Or you think about a guy like Peter and how his heart over a lot of difficult you know, experiences got better and better. Our hearts are always becoming worse or better depending on how we are keeping them. How you keep your heart will influence what your heart is like and what flows from it. Um, we call that character, and that character can be changed over time. That's the good news, is that God has a way for us to actually keep our hearts such that our hearts could become more and more like Christ's heart, so that the things that flow out are more and more Christ's very life. 
Isn't that awesome? That's such good news. It's such good news, especially if you're dealing with some sort of severe temptation, maybe a temptation of lust or unforgiveness or anger or bitterness or fear. You have this huge temptation and you think, I won't be able to endure this level of temptation the rest of my life. There's no way. Well, the good news is that we will keep our hearts over time. That heart will become a purer, more Christ-like heart, and there will actually be less temptation coming out of it. There's actually a solution to this. It isn't that we fight the same for the rest of our lives. It's that we tend to the important thing, which is our hearts. We need to keep it vigilantly. It's good news, isn't it? It's really good news is that this heart can be changed. And so you can see here why you want to keep it. Gospelist religion, guys, focuses mainly on these actions and words and basically tells you just try harder and harder to do things that people will see out in the externals um, that you don't really want to do, but you have to do, so you just need to try harder. That's what gospelist religion does. But what the gospel does is it focuses on changing the heart so that you want to do the things Christ commands, so that more and more you want to. Christ works on our want to. Isn't that great? It's so great because he's not just calling us to like try really hard to do things we don't want to do. What he's doing is he's transforming our hearts so that more and more we love the things he loves and we want to do the things he's commanded. And that's, guys, how the, the burden is made light and the yoke's made easy. In Matthew 11, Jesus said this, Come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden. He's speaking particularly to the religious there. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And then he says this, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. A lot of times you think like, are we talking about the same Jesus? Yoke, easy, burden, light? His commandments seem very difficult. Well, how does the yoke become easier and the burden lighter? It's by heart change. As he transforms the inside of us, we come to love the things Christ loves, and we come to desire more and more to do the things Christ commands. And so the burden and the yoke become lighter. That's the way he's doing it. And it's a process, of course. Like, well, I'm not there yet. Well, I'm not there yet either. It's a process, right? And it's slow, and it's potentially very painful. Is it painful? Anyone? Last week I was like, is the Christian life hard? And you guys were all silent. And then I was like, how many of you are living the Christian life? You guys raise your hand. And is it painful? Is it a painful process? Is it slow? Would you, do your kids wish it was faster in you? You know, does your spouse wish it was faster in you? We do, right? It, change is real, though. It's just slow, and it's something that happens as we keep our heart with all vigilance. So that's why. That's why the heart, because the heart is, is the target. This is a place from which our whole life flows, so we want to keep our hearts. But how do we actually keep it? How do we change it? How do we have it changed by God? Well, you can't change your own heart any more than you can do open heart surgery on yourself. I mean, I heard this story about this guy. He was in uh, Antarctica. He was a scientist down there. He was a doctor. But he had appendicitis. He was the only doctor. So he did it himself with mirrors and, I guess, help. But he was like, you know, terrible, right? You can't change your own heart any more than you can do your own heart surgery. But you are called, guys, to be your heart's keeper, in ancient times, springs and wells were very important to people. You know, it was life or death. The quality of the water coming out of that well, your access to it was a life or death issue. People kept them vigilantly. People fought of them. You remember with Abraham and Abimelech and they were fighting over wells? God has placed you and only you as the keeper of your heart. And I think once a Christian grasps that, it's a huge deal. Once they realize that you are the keeper of your own heart, that he's given you this new um, born-again heart, and he's saying, this is yours to keep. 
right? And so we're to keep it. I want to give you three ways you should keep this well, this heart you've been given. The three ways are this. Monitor, protect, and dig. So monitor it for purity, protect it from contamination, and dig it deeper. So we're going to look at monitor, protect, dig. First, monitor. A vigilant keeper of a well is going to test the water regularly, right? If you're keeping a well and you're, you're to protect it, every once in a while you're going to get your hand in, and you're going to and you're going to say, does this taste right? Does this seem right? Are the things that are coming out of this good? You know, what's going on in here? And, and that's what we're called to do. We're called to monitor our hearts. Because remember, Jesus said in Matthew uh, 15, 18. Matthew 50, 18, he said that out of the heart come, proceed. Uh, sorry, out of the mouth proceeds things from the heart and those defile a person. That the things coming out of your heart can be monitored. They can be seen. Uh, we want to watch. What you want to do is you want to watch for what your heart loves, what your heart worships, right? Because it changes, you know? You're worshiping Jesus, and then you let your heart go, you'll worship other things. Solomon certainly did, right? Watch for what your heart really loves, what it really worships. Um, if you want to change your life, you have to change what you worship. You have to change what you love. It's a worship issue. You have to identify and unseat idols of the heart. Idols are, are false gods. They're things that we treasure above God. And they're usually good things. They're things like comfort and control and security and approval of others. I mean, these aren't bad things. It's not bad to want a measure of control or approval of other people or things like that. But what happens is those things become more important to us than Christ. And when that happens, there will be signs. There will be things to see. There will be badness in the water to taste. Um, at work, I was given a uh, Apple Watch as a gift, and um, I'm not sure if it's a good thing or not, but um, it has this app where it like, can track my heart rate, tracks my steps, and for kind of an obsessive, this probably isn't good to have these numbers. I don't need numbers to look at. I'll obsess on them, and it does an EKG, so I'll sit there and like do the EKG, and I was telling Tosh, I'm like, normal sinus rhythm. She's like, that's good. And, you know, I just kind of go on and on. I went to the dentist, and I was like, hey, you know, it said there was a spike in my heart rate during the dentist. And she's like, that's normal. So it's just an obsessive thing. It can detect and notify me if I have problems with my heart, right? Arrhythmias or things like that. And I was thinking, what I really need is an app that would detect idols in my heart. You know, that would detect and pinpoint and notify me when I'm dealing with covetousness or self-pity. They could vibrate on my arm and say, self-pity alert, you know, and, and this, is, this is the idol you're worshiping. You're worshiping control or you're worshiping uh, approval of others or whatever, you know. But, you know, guys, when we look at this text, we can see that there are other ways to know what our heart worships. We know by what comes out of it. We know, we know perfectly well by what comes out of it. Our emotions, guys, tell us what idols we worship. Our emotions will tell us what idol we worship if, we honest, if we're honest about that it's an accurate reflection of what's in our hearts. A lot of times we'll you know, have these you know, negative emotions, these sinful emotions, these sinful um, thoughts, and we'll say, oh, well, this is just a reasonable reaction to my situation. Like, oh, anybody would be as mad as I am in this situation. Or actually, I'm handling a lot better than most people would. Right? What is that? That's a denial that your sample is a true sample of what's in your heart. But to be honest, that what we sampled really shows the true worship in our heart. And it isn't just a reaction to our environment. So what do we look for? We look for things like anger. What makes your heart angry? That'll tell you what your idol is. James said in James 4, he said, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? He's like, what causes fights, what causes quarrels? He's like, well, my wife does. No, no. 
No, that's not what causes fights and quarrels among you. What causes fights and quarrels among you? It's my kids. No. He says, your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Uh, our anger shows that, that there's an idol that somebody's taken from us. You took my idol and I'm angry about it, right? Look for what makes your heart anxious. And I'm not talking about, you know, some sort of anxiety disorder. I'm talking about everyday fears, right? Everyday fears show us what we're worshiping. Because when we're anxious, what it is, is it's, it's a sign that our idol's slipping away. You ever drop a paper in the wind and you're like, no, 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 come here, come here, come here. You know, and you're trying to get it. That's us when our idols are fleeing away. The anxiety of losing the thing that we really worship. Um, what makes us covetous, right? What makes your heart covetous? Covetousness is somebody else has your idol and you don't, right? And you're looking at it over in their hands and you're, you're wanting this thing. What makes you miserable? We're miserable when our idol seems impossible to have, right? A lot of our, a lot of our misery, guys, is misplaced worship, Right? A lot of our misery is misplaced worship. It, it's things that we desire and want and, and must have that, that seem impossible to have now. So we're miserable. Right? Isn't this fun? Okay, good. <laughs> Don't assume, guys, that your misery is due to your circumstances or other people. It's probably idolatry. Right? John Calvin said that, that our hearts are idol factories. Our hearts can manufacture idols like crazy. Right? Idols are often good things that have just become way too important to us. You know? And that can be confusing. Sometimes you're like, well, I should want you know, my kids to obey. Well, I should want my, to be able to succeed at work. Well, I should want to be able to do this you know, ministry thing or whatever. But how much do you want? You, know? you want it too much. That's what it's about. Idols are often good things that have become way too important to us. And so we need to watch our hearts for what they really worship. We need to monitor them. And that may require having a checkpoint. I think it'd be very helpful to have a checkpoint, you know. Some people have a checkpoint of like morning when they wake up, do a little idle check, you know, a little idle check. Uh, lunchtime, you know, doing another check and before the Lord. Um, maybe your drive home or when you're waiting for, for your spouse to come home. Um, and then in another place is like the night watches, so as you're falling asleep, doing an idle check there. We need to check, you know. It's like you're crossing into another country or something. It's a checkpoint. Do you have anything to declare? Yes, I do. I'm miserable. What's this about? Well, it's my own idol that I need to hand over, right? And so these are checkpoints we need. Um, you need to think, what is my heart holding on to so tightly that it's making me miserable? You know, it's no fun, really, to be an idol worshiper, right? And repentance is so freeing and gives us so much joy, but we have to identify it before we can repent of it. I have this question in the back of my Bible that I wrote once that's really helped me, and it's a question to myself. What do you want so badly today that is making you miserable, anxious, covetous, bitter, or angry? What is making you sick of soul? That's the idol you need to repent of today. It's like a question. Just look at me like, okay, like I'm experiencing these things. There's probably some sort of false worship happening that I need to repent of. And so keeping my heart vigilantly is about monitoring it for what I truly worship. And then when I sense that the water just is not tasting right, I bring that before the Lord. And sometimes we don't even know what our problem is, right? And that's why you have uh, the prayer of examine that's in Psalm 139 where he says, Search me, O God, and know me. Try and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And we actually like, bring our hearts before the Lord and go like, there's something wrong with it. I don't know. Like going to the mechanic, like, I don't know what's wrong with this car, you know? Like, I don't know what's wrong with this heart. Show me, Lord, what is wrong with this. And what's really cool, guys, is like only in the gospel can we be honest about this. 
But only in the gospel can we be secure enough to look our idols in the face and name them. You know? Because we know that we've been accepted and received in Christ, we can be completely honest with ourselves, with each other, about what is really ruling us, right? Because we're not saved by that. We're saved by Christ. Tim Keller said this, The gospel shows us that we are more sinful and flawed than we ever dared believe, but that in Christ we're more loved and accepted than we ever dared hope. Both of those things are happening at once, right? I'm more sinful and flawed than I ever dared believe. I don't even want to admit the depths of this, right? I don't even want to talk about it. I don't want to look at it, right? And yet, at the same time, I'm more loved and accepted than I could ever dare hope. In the gospel, we're both of those in Christ. Gospelless religion is all about cover-up, right? Can't admit things because you're earning your way, right? Can't be real with God, can't be real with each other. But in the gospel, we can be honest and monitor and confess. So that's the first thing we need to do. Monitor the well. Taste the water. Check it out. See what it is. Bring it before the Lord. Admit it. Confess it, right? Next one. Protect it. Protect the well. Think about a water source like this. It'd be a good idea to protect this thing. If your whole life flows from this and, and this has an effect on every single human around you, and this, this actually leads to either glorifying God or not glorifying God, we want to protect that thing, right? Guys, some of us are constantly contaminating the well of our hearts and then we wonder why it's so unbearably hard to do what God's commanded. Like you're working from a con- totally contaminated well. And I've said this before, and it might bother some of you, but it's a very helpful image. Some of us, guys, are pooping in the well, and we're wondering why the water tastes so funny. Okay? It does help. I know. Uh, it didn't even have in the notes, because I'm like, don't do that again. And then I did it again. But seriously, like, we've got to live from this thing. Like, we want to protect this, because we've got to deal with what we put in here. We're going to have to deal with what we put in here for weeks or months or years. Like, careful what you put in there. Just think about that. Um, think about your heart as a well and, and, and protect it. Protect it from contamination. I, I want to throw out a couple ways that you might be contaminating the well of your heart. One of them would be through your news source. Okay, I think this is a huge one in our time. But is the news making you angry and anxious? Any of you? Do you actually read it or listen to it? If you do, it's making you Guys, you guys do know, right, that all the news outlets are outrage factories. That's what they do. That's their design. So whether you're a Fox News person or you're a CNN person or whatever you are, next time you listen, ask this, what emotion are they trying to elicit from me? Fear and its cousin, anger, right? Those are the two things, fear and anger. Guys, you know that all these news outlets make more money the more they scare and enrage you because that's what gets shared, okay? It's real simple. Put out a story, it gives you fear and rage, you share it. That's what we do. I don't know why. But social media share, share through text message, we share it, right? The more it's shared, the more it's looked at, the more money they make off advertising. That's the way it works, guys. They, all news sources, they intentionally enrage you for money. Do you want to support that? They intentionally enrage you for money. You guys remember Monsters, Inc.? When the monsters would go around, scare the kids, and they would like somehow suck up that thing and it powered them. That's most news sources. That's what they're doing. All of them, you say, oh yeah, those liberals. No, 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 no. Yours too, right? Yours are doing it too. And you say, well, I need to be informed. I would just say, at what cost? At what cost? Think about your heart. Or social media. Social media make you angry, probably because of the news sources people are posting. But have you ever had somebody that you really liked and then you didn't like them once you saw their feed? You've never had that happen. 
Some of you knew that you liked a lot less when you saw their newsfeed. Do you need that? Is that important? Is that a good thing? It's not a good thing, right? Or lust, you know, and a friend, he wrestles with same-sex attraction, and he was following on Instagram a bunch of kind of um, clothing, fashion-type pages and stuff, seemed really innocent, just about clothes, but he realized later it was a way for him to lust. It was a little lust thing that he did throughout the day. I had another friend who was uh, dealing with heterosexual lust, and he followed a bunch of fitness accounts, same thing. You know, he realized, like, he thought, oh, this will inspire me to work out and stuff, but it was really a, a way of lust. Or, you know, social media covetousness is big. Do you really need to see everybody's amazing vacations that are going on or, or their relationships? Does it make you feel left out? You guys know that this research is pretty thorough on this, that people feel miserable after they spend time on social media, usually, you know, unless you saw some cute picture of a baby. And you guys realize, too, that the average user uses social media for 135 minutes a day. And so you're like, not me, maybe an hour. This is adding up all those little checks, a little two-minute here, five-minute here, you know, the 20 minutes before you went to sleep, 135 minutes. And all I'm saying to you, and I'm not saying what you should do, I'm just saying consider what that two hours a day is doing to your heart. What's it doing to the well of your heart? If it's doing great things, then keep it up, but consider it. Um, what about rehearsing grudges? I think this is one way we contaminate the well of our heart. I'm getting personal with you now, right? Rehearsing grudges, thinking through the ways you've been wronged by a particular person. And we can do that throughout the day, right? Um, I love in Gilead, the book Gilead, he, he said this, I have always liked the phrase nursing a grudge because many people are tender of their resentments as the thing nearest their hearts. Right? You feed that little baby, right? You feed that little grudge. This week, I was thinking about it because I was thinking about talking about this, and I just wrote on the post in my truck as I'm driving around, like, deal directly with old resentments. And I don't know why I wrote that down, but I wrote that down, but I got to deal with directly with old resentments this year. And then I'm driving in the parking lot, and who do I see but this guy that I hated for years. <laughs> I mean, this, and I don't normally even run into him or anything, you know? And, uh, and he was just scampering across the parking lot, you know? I, whoop, he's gone, but it was like... And so I wrote my journal, I'm like, nice one, Lord. Well played, well played. I see what you're doing here. But I just remember, man, every time I would have anything frustrating, it was his fault. Just kind of comes back to that. Anytime I want to get angry, I think about him. Mainly doing yard work and home projects, for whatever reason. He was with me, and I could hate on him the whole time. Do you spend time feeding, nursing grudges, replaying them in your mind. What about your entertainment? Guys, we are not the kind of church that's going to tell you what to watch and what to listen to. Praise God. We ain't got time for that anyway, right? I ain't got time for that, right? Because God has put you and you only as the protector of the well of your heart, and you are the only one that's going to be held to account for the condition of your heart, right? This is something that you're in charge of. You're the keeper of your heart, not me. But consider what your different entertainments do. Do they make you discontent? You know, I mean, it could be something as simple as like watching home shows. And you think, oh man, I wish I had that, I wish I had this. It makes you discontent. Or, or maybe, you know, seeing relationships in shows. Or, you know, maybe you, you had a money podcast and it was really good because it got you serious about like dealing with your money, your finances in a wise way. And then now it started to make you just think about money all the time. You're constantly kind of churning over money. It's made you greedy, even though it was a good thing to start with. Just consider it. I mean, they're good things. It could become problems. Um, lust, you know, the, the rating system on, on movies and stuff was, surprise, not made by Jesus for your particular heart. Okay? These are not custom made for your heart by Jesus, right? You are the keeper of the well of your heart. And so you don't have to justify to me what you watch or anything like that. I'm not looking. But be realistic about the effects on your heart. This is your job to keep your heart, not mine. So protect it. 
Monitor it. And lastly, one more thing. Dig it deeper. I love this part, okay? When you first came to Christ, you were forgiven, you were adopted, and you were given a new heart, okay? You were given, the center of your being was replaced. And it was replaced with a dead heart to a live heart. And then you were put in charge of keeping it. But you know what's really neat? Okay, so this has never been on the diagram before. So here's Christ reigning in heaven. It's a throne. It's the best I could do. Um, what's really cool is that um, when you came to Christ, you're given a new heart, and you were actually given a hidden channel, a hidden connection to the life of Christ. It's called union with Christ. Did you know that? That the Holy Spirit in you, the Holy Spirit in heaven, unites your heart to Christ. It's called union with Christ. Um, Jesus talked about it this way. You're like branches that have been grafted into a vine. You're connected to him such that Christ's life can actually flow into your heart now, right? And so it's not just we have a new heart, but we're united with Christ such that his life can flow into our life. And, 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 and this is something that we can actually dig deeper into. This is something that we could actually um, encourage more flow of, that we could more and more have Christ's life living out through our hearts. You say, well, how can you do that? Well, I think Jesus gave us a real hint to this. Because Jesus, and we're going to get a little deep here, and if you've got questions later, ask me. But um, Jesus, fully God and fully man, right? God the Son, became a man, lived as, as a man, also God. But his experience as he lived out as a man here, he lived as a spirit-empowered man. He, he always received his life into him from the Father through the Spirit. And we see that, you know, especially in the Gospel of Luke and in the book of Hebrews, we see that Jesus lived as a Spirit-empowered man, that he actually drew life from the Father, that he didn't live autonomous from the Father, but he was constantly empowered by the Father. And Jesus actually practiced particular habits to draw his life from the Father. We call these spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are habits that change our heart by opening it to the presence and power of God. Isn't that cool? That's a thing we've been given. What are some of the spiritual disciplines that Jesus practiced so that he could live by the power of the Spirit? Give them to me. It's open book and it's open. Prayer. Okay, good. Prayer. We got prayer? Solitude. Who said that? That's awesome. No one ever says solitude, especially in our culture. Solitude. Do you bring your phone? You don't bring your phone. It's a solitude. Do you? Okay. Solitude. What else? Okay. Service or denial. What was that? Fasting. Also one that isn't commonly brought up. What else? What else did he do? Fellowship. What do you, what do you have? Worship. Worship, which is one of the things that's really cool. One of the passages, I think it's in Luke, he says, and he went to the synagogue as was his custom. And I thought, trip out. God in the flesh never missed. Isn't that interesting? That's amazing. As was his custom. So fellowship, gathered worship, giving. Giving himself, like you were talking about, service. Constantly serving. Um, one t- people don't usually think of is simplicity or frugality. You know, when he died, all he had was one linen, you know, one linen robe that was well made. It didn't have any seam in it, but it was one thing that he owned. Right. Um, so in prayer, in prayer, we pour out our hearts to God, and He fills them. We ask Him to fill them with, fill our hearts with Christ. Right. Or in fasting, we focus our hearts on God and we feast on Him, and we train our hearts to be strengthened by the presence of Christ instead of food. 
Like, there's a lot of ways we use food to try and keep us going other than just calories, right? And, and in fasting, we cut that off so that we can train our hearts to draw our strength from, from the Lord. Um, in solitude, we shut out all the other eyes, which is very countercultural in our day. We shut out all the other eyes and we remind ourselves that our heart lives open and bare before the eyes of God and audience of one. That's what solitude does. Or simplicity, frugality. What it, we break our reliance on acquiring things to fill our hearts and instead focus on Christ filling our hearts. Or in fellowship, we come together like we did here, and we stir up one another to love and good deeds. We're, we're stirring up Christ in each other. Um, another reason to keep your heart vigilantly is because you have more to share if you're keeping your heart. Um, gathered worship, our hearts feed on Christ in the word, and in song, and in the sacraments. Um, in giving, Jesus was very direct about this, that our heart follows our money like a, like a compass needle follows magnetic north, Right? He said, wherever your treasure is, your heart will be there too. And so if we give money to, say, Holly, or we give money to Lorian in the mission field, guess what? We're like, hey, how's it going over there? Oh, and how's it going over in Cambodia? Right? It follows, right? Um, one person said that God gives, calls us to give, not to remove money from our pockets, but idols from our hearts. If you want to live the way Jesus lived, you have to practice the habits Jesus practiced. Is he practiced certain habits so that he could draw his strength from the Father. If we want to draw our strength from the Lord, we're going to have to dig the well deeper, right? And we mix this up a lot of times. We go, I want to be the kind of person that, you know, doesn't fall into this particular sin. I want to be the kind of person that knows the Bible and all that stuff. What you want to focus on is being the kind of person that does these habits. And people know this just in regular life. Like, okay, I want to this year get in shape. Well, that's not a good goal. Good goal is get to the gym four times a week, Right? Because the goal is going to be the habit. The goal is going to be the practice that brings the kind of life you want. These habits bring the kind of life we want. So it's, it's no sense desiring the goal without desiring the lifestyle. It's Jesus' lifestyle that gave him the power that he had. And I want to highlight just one particular spiritual discipline, which is the word. Because, guys, this is our greatest opportunity for heart transformation, right? I mean, Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That, that as we immerse our minds in Scripture, that our hearts become more and more like Christ's heart. Um, Psalm 119, 11. Check this out. And here for the first time, even though you've heard it before. He says, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So what he's saying here is that, that these words, the very words of God, could become a part of the internal architecture of your heart. Isn't that cool? You could actually take them in, in your mind, churn them over, chew them up, come into your heart, and they could actually get lodged in here in such a way that you become transformed. That's a cool opportunity. I mean, that's something that not just anything can do. And one of the ways to do this is to commit to a, a daily Bible reading plan. And I'm, I'm not saying you have to do a particular one, but it helps to have a plan, okay? You know, you plan, you fail the plan, you plan to fail, <laughs> right? I mean, last year I thought, oh, I can just do this organically, and it didn't happen. So um, I organically did nothing. So I, I've got one of these ball-wearing plans. There's some back there, but this is one I'm going to do. It's like a five-day one. We've got it on the website. I set up a WhatsApp group, so if you guys want to discuss it this year, we can discuss it. So hit me up if you want to be on that. But do you know how long it takes to read the Bible in a year per day? Average reading speed? Yeah, it's like 12 minutes. It's like 12 minutes. If you do the five-day one, it's probably, you know, 15 or 20 because you're reading only five days a week instead of seven. But um, it's, so let's say it takes 15 minutes. The average social media user, 135 minutes. I know, you guys are like, man, I feel like you're cornering me. That's what I'm doing. 
I'm backing you into a corner. You have no escape. Like, that's exactly what I'm doing, okay? Like, I'm, I'm fine with you knowing what I'm doing. 15 minutes a day. Let's say you add journaling and some meditation. You draw it out to maybe 25 minutes a day. 25 minutes a day to keep your heart with all vigilance. This would be a great investment, guys. We're going to do this Thursday at my house. We're going to do a, a, one of the fireside chats. The fire is on a TV, by the way. So we're going to do a fireside chat this Thursday at my house at 6.30. I'd love for you guys to come, but we're going to talk about journaling. So we're going to talk about reading the Word and then journaling the Word. So if you guys would like to come, most of you know where my house is because you've been there. But if you haven't, hit me up. I'd love to have you. But because of our union with Christ, guys, we can experience Christ's life flowing out through us. And by practicing the spiritual disciplines, we actually are digging the well deeper. We're digging into that connection we have with Christ. Jesus said, if you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Like, like branches connected to a vine, these habits help us abide in him. And what's so cool, guys, is that gospelist religion says, try harder. How'd you do doing this? Oh, not so good. Try harder, right? Jesus says, abide in me. He says a true source of life is going to come from abiding in me. And so what's your growth plan for this new year? Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Monitor it for purity. Protect it from contamination. Dig it deeper, right, through the disciplines. Um, As we take the Lord's Supper, we remember that Jesus came and lived and died and was raised to give us new hearts. Um, Ephesians 2 says that we were born with dead hearts, spiritually. We were born with dead hearts, and there's no use keeping a dead heart, right? Um, About 600 years before Jesus came, God promised he would give new hearts to his people. He said this in Ezekiel 36, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land, and I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And listen to this, and from all the idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. And I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And listen to this. And I will put my spirit within you. Right here. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And you shall dwell in the land that I'll give your fathers. And you shall be my people and I will be your God. This new heart, guys, was a costly gift. Jesus purchased this for you. God the Son became a man Real man, real body, real also insides, real heart, real mind. And in that body, Jesus consistently loved people and God in all of his words, in all of his actions, in all of his thoughts. And then at the end of life, he dies in your place to cleanse you from all your sin, both inside and out. He didn't come to just cleanse, you know, the things you know you said wrong and did wrong, but the things of your mind and the very deep things that you don't even know of in your heart. You know what's amazing about Jesus? amazing thing about Jesus is his heart. And guys, do not um, step on this water here and have an accident, okay? Somebody's going to get hurt. The amazing thing about Jesus is what happened when you bumped him, right? When you bumped Jesus, what came out? What What came out when Jesus got bumped in his life? What came out when you bumped Jesus, when you struck Jesus, when you whipped him? What came out of Jesus when you mocked him? What came out of Jesus when you spit on him? What came out of Jesus when you pierced him? What came out of Jesus when you nailed him to planks of wood? You know what came out of him? The only thing that came out of him was love. (laughs) Every single time. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. No matter how they tortured him, nothing but love would come out of Jesus because you know what? There was nothing but love in Jesus even in the very depths of his heart. And this morning, that love is what he offers to you this morning. 
And that's what we remember in the Lord's Supper. As we take the bread and the cup, we remember that we have received forgiveness and a new heart. And if that's you, if you've trusted in Christ for your forgiveness and received that new heart, we invite you to come up and take the cup and take the bread. The, the cup is a reminder of his blood, the bread a reminder of his body. And as we do so, it's one of the ways that we dig it deeper, right? Communion, the Lord's Supper, is one of the ways that we receive more of the life of Christ into our hearts. We remember and we receive. The Belgian Confession puts it this way. Though Christ is always seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, yet he does not cease to make us partakers of himself by faith. And then it says, This feast is a spiritual table at which Christ communicates himself with all of his blessings to us. He gives there to us to enjoy himself and the merits of his suffering. And then listen to this. To nourish, strengthen, comfort our poor, comfortless souls by eating his flesh and quickening and refreshing them by drinking his blood. And so as you come to the table, you're coming to be refreshed, to be nourished, to be strengthened, and to be quickened, and to be better keepers of this great gift of a heart that God's given us. Let's pray. Father, we uh, come before you, a thankful people, thankful that our greatest problem has been solved. That for those who are here that are trusting in Jesus to be their righteousness, we stand before you blameless even though we got blamed like crazy. We stand before you sinless even though we've sinned like crazy and continue to sin. Stand before you as those who've been fully forgiven, fully received, and nothing can change that. We thank you for that, Lord. And we thank you too that you've given us new hearts that are in some measure able to love you back. And we pray, Lord, that you would help our hearts to love you back more and more. That we would want to offer to you our hearts promptly and sincerely. Lord, give us wisdom to know how to draw our lives from your very Son through your Spirit. Lord, we thank you that you've not left us in our sin to be condemned, and you've not left us in our sin to be enslaved. We pray, Lord, that in this service as we're worshiping you, Lord, that there would be new hope for transformation and that Lord, I pray for your people that they would reach out to each other for help and prayer and support. And Lord, that we would fight these things together as a family. And that everyone's sin issue, everyone's burden to bear, Lord, is for us all. And we pray, Lord, that we would bear it for each other, that we would be there for each other, that we would strengthen each other. Lord, we pray that your spirit would come upon us in a mighty way to do this. And we thank you, Lord, for this table. We pray that we would take it in a way that glorifies you and that you would receive uh, the glory that you deserve in all that we do. In praise of Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.